you have your Bibles with you, let's, uh, let's turn to Acts chapter 8, and let me read our text for the day. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 and following. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me? from being baptized. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And he, then the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. This has been a year of many hindrances for us in our ministry. Um, the pandemic has been a global event, but uh, it has hit check particularly hard. Um, after a, a, a quick and eager and uh, wise response at the beginning, um, the government instituted masks, mask wearing last spring and shut things down and limited contact. Um, they started to get prideful <laughs> and thought, wow, we're doing so well. This is amazing. And cases then spiked over the summer. And then uh, in the fall, the Czech Republic was uh, one of the worst countries in the world for, for COVID numbers. And in the midst of this, we are trying in our local church at Klitkostel in Ostrava to reach unchurched youth, 
people who did not grow up in Christian homes and Christian families, whose maybe only exposure to the church and the gospel is from the, the, the Catholic church uh, in their village or their grandmother uh, who still attends church. How, how, how does this work? I remember after the summer in particular, when the second wave hit, we were really discouraged. We'd ridden the first wave and we had transitioned online and we were having services and still meeting in smaller groups. But in the second wave, everything was crushed down. We weren't even sure how many would be able to meet in our worship space to record or live stream a service. And it's one thing to put out a message, but it's another thing to be with people and to invite the lost to taste and see the goodness of the Lord. And we were like, how? How can we do this? We were seeing all the hindrances and all the roadblocks, but God was making a way. As we were faithful, continuing our ministry, continuing to preach the Word of God, one Czech exchange student living in New York, who was actually in the hospital with cancer, tuned in to our services and got connected to our community and put his faith in Christ a few weeks before he passed away. During this period of lockdown, our leaders grew more than ever before, both in their leadership skills and, and, and desires to care and shepherd the community, but also in their theological understanding. We now had time to dig deeper, to dig deep roots. And during this time, new partnerships developed with some cells in other university towns, with people similarly minded who wanted to reach university students, high school students, unchurched youth. And the groundwork is being laid for future partnerships and potential future church plants in other cities. So in this time of incredible hindrances, where all we were seeing were the roadblocks and the hindrances and the, and the problems, this was just an opportunity for God to move his mission forward. One of the things that I, I so appreciate about Grace Church is uh, its seriousness about the mission of God, led by the Spirit of God, submitted under the Word of God. And I trust that you want to participate in God's mission where he has called you. But you might be in a season as well of seeing all the roadblocks, seeing all the hindrances, what kind of hindrances do you perceive in, in your own mission to be salt and light? Maybe you feel a lack of preparation. Maybe a lack of knowledge. There are more knowledgeable people who can do this. Maybe a lack of contacts. I don't, who do I even know? Maybe a lack of opportunity. Maybe a lack of response. You've tried, but have, you just don't see the, 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 the gospel fruit. You don't see the interest in the eyes of the person you're sharing the gospel with. Maybe you sense a lack of momentum, like, ah, oh, it's just, it's not really going anywhere. Maybe you just sense a lack of clarity. God, where do I even start? How might God lead us today in overcoming some of those obstacles? I think that Acts 8 is going to be immensely helpful uh, in showing us how God leads and how we should respond. In this, in this section of Acts, let's talk about the context. Where are we in the story? Now, this is 
and in a time of incredible challenge for the church, for the growing church. Uh, I would imagine worse than the pandemic. <laughs> the church is under immense pressure and immense persecution. Stephen has just been stoned. Saul has just approved of his execution and is now persecuting other believers. But despite these challenges, the gospel is spreading. These challenges are actually causing believers to go out, to, to be missionaries, to, to go to new places with the gospel. Chapter 8 starts under the threat of Saul's persecution. And we hear two stories about Stephen. Stephen, excuse me, about Philip. <laughs> Philip, the first time evangelizing large groups. An amazing testimony that you heard last week evangelizing in public to large groups of people and seeing the gospel fruit from that. But today we have a very intimate story of Philip evangelizing one-on-one, -on -one, sharing the gospel, and really meeting this particular person where he's at. Let's take a look at our text once more and dig a little bit deeper. Part one of, of, of this story I've titled Mission and the Initiative of God. I'm going to read verses 26 and 29 again. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. I'm sure you can imagine Philip, after this amazing experience of, of sharing the gospel to a large group of people, having the opportunity to, to witness in a very public context, um, having Peter and John join in and see the Spirit of God poured out. God now is calling him to the desert? <laughs> that does not seem like the ideal place to share the gospel. This could have been a, a first hindrance. Philip could have easily said, God, I don't know if that's the best idea. Um, I think there are more strategic places to go. Gaza was the last water stop in the southwestern Israel before entering the desert on the way to Egypt. Desolate place, distant from any cities on the way south. But Philip goes. He goes. He rose and went. That's immediate obedience. <laughs> and there, in the Greek, it's behold. It's like, whoa, behold, there's someone. Someone is there. And who is it? It's a eunuch. Let's talk about this eunuch. This is probably, um, he probably has black skin. This is a new ethnic group that the gospel is reaching. He's not a pure Gentile, though. Uh, in Acts, the, the, the story is escalating up to Cornelius and the spreading of the gospel to the Gentiles, and this is somewhat of a, a halfway point. This eunuch, this Ethiopian, is likely a diaspora Jew or a, a Gentile who's connected to Judaism. As we can see, he journeyed to Jerusalem, and he's got an expensive Isaiah scroll with him. So he's exposed to Israel's God, but there's a hindrance. He is unable to fully participate in the life of the assembly, the life of Israel, the life of the community, because he is unable to be fully circumcised. 
This comes from Deuteronomy 23, which says that anyone with his condition is unable to enter the assembly of God. So you can imagine him going to Jerusalem, going to the temple, getting as close as he can, wanting a relationship with God, wanting to worship in spirit and in truth, and running up against a hindrance, running up against a barrier, running up against a wall. And as he returns, he's pondering this story of God, these scriptures, pondering his own positioning toward God. But he's unable to fully engage. Now, God is initiating this entire exchange. We see at the beginning that it's an angel of the Lord that tells Philip, go here. And then it's the spirit of the Lord that says to Philip, go talk to him. <laughs> go over and join his chariot. Now, this chariot was probably pretty expensive. It was definitely built for, for a long journey. This is about a five-month journey from Jerusalem back home to Ethiopia, which, by the way, is modern-day Sudan, about a thousand miles, um, uh, I think, yeah, a thousand miles um, south. And so I'm sure he's moving pretty fast, and Philip's oh, okay, got to catch up, okay. But he's following the initiative of God. God is preparing the way. God is preparing the field. And, and all Philip needs to do is just take the next step in obedience. It's God's initiative that is leading this mission. Stephen is showing faithful obedience to the leading of God in his mission. Now, I want to talk about this just briefly. What does it mean to respond to God's leading? What does it mean to be obedient to the leading of the Spirit, to, to the Word of God? When God says, go, I'm opening a way, I'm creating new doors, new opportunities, step forward. What does that mean? Often I hear when, I, when, we, when we work with our students uh, and we talk about evangelism or we talk about discipleship, we talk about um, following God into new places, there's a sense that, oh, I'm, I'm just waiting for the right sign, you know? I'm just waiting for that, that sign from God. Or uh, it doesn't feel like the doors are quite open. <laughs> it doesn't feel like the opportunity is quite ripe. Um, I'm just waiting for that, you know, firework to, to come out of the sky or that, 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 that you know, sign on the, on the side of the road to just tell me exactly what I need to do. We can have this kind of an attitude toward God of like, God, give me a sign, please. I'd love to be obedient, but, but I'm kind of waiting. Is this what Philip is doing? Is he waiting for a sign? Or is he responsive to the word of God? There's a difference between responding to the leading of God, to the word of God, and a kind of open door theology. Waiting for the open door. Or, oh, that door seems closed. There's a warning in Deuteronomy 18, which talks exactly about this. Deuteronomy 18, 13 through 19, if you want to write it down. It says, You shall be blameless before the Lord your God, for these nations which you're about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, like Moses, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And I, the Lord, will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Israel was not allowed 
<laughs> not allowed to practice divination. <laughs> they were required to listen and be obedient to the Word of God. God is saying here, I'm not going to lead you like these other nations. You don't have to look for the sign. You don't have to interpret the symbols. You don't have to read your tea leaves. You need to listen to my prophet. You need to listen to my word and be obedient to those words. I'm not going to be hidden from you. I will speak to you directly. And this is what we see with Philip. He hears the word of the Lord and he also knows the scriptures, as we're going to see shortly. So he's also obedient to the, to the written word of, of God. And he's using that as his barometer for, for obedience. We see here that obedience to the initiative of God comes through attention to the word of God. This is responsiveness to the spirit, the leading of the spirit, and also to the truth of the gospel. We're starting to see already uh, what, this, what this all looks like. And I have kind of a, a, a phrase or a big idea that I'll repeat several times that, that I hope will be helpful. But my big idea is that mission initiated by God, initiated by God and faithful to the Word of God, overcomes all hindrances. Mission initiated by God and faithful to the Word of God overcomes all hindrances. We're starting to see this in this story. But what difference does it make when God initiates mission? And what does this next step of obedience look like? Let's continue reading in our passage, in our text for the day. Part two is mission and the story of God. Verses 30 through 35. Let me read them again for us. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Under the initiative of God, God is overcoming hindrances, overcoming barriers, but here's another hindrance, here's another barrier, and it starts with Philip's very astute question, do you understand do you understand? Do you understand what you are reading? I am sure that this eunuch has studied. He knows a lot. He, he's committed a, a large amount of his time and energy and expenses to go up to Jerusalem to worship, to worship as close as he can, to buy an expensive scroll to, to, to study. But do you understand? Do you understand? And this is just Amazing. <laughs> amazing how the eunuch responds. This is the Spirit preparing the ground for an amazing gospel conversation. To this stranger running alongside the chariot, um, that must have been quite the sight, uh, he says, how can I unless someone guides me? And then he invites him up. Please, help me. 
Good evangelism, we see here, is sensitive to the questions of others, but faithful to the story of God. Good evangelism is sensitive to the questions of others and faithful to the story of God. Now, the passage that the eunuch is reading is probably, by the way, reading out loud, which was the practice of the time. So, reading out loud as he's going through the desert in his chariot, reading from Isaiah. A very important part of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, the famous servant song. And back then, there, was, there were kind of three main possibilities for the identification, this identity of this servant. And it's hinted at even in the eunuch's question. There are three possibilities. Either this servant could be Isaiah. Isaiah could be, you know, talking about himself, suffering on behalf of Israel and God using that. It could be Israel itself. That was a, a, an idea at the time of maybe this is talking about the suffering of a, uh, a, um, a, a group of faithful Israel that somehow brings restoration to, to the rest of the nation. Or another idea that it was that it was someone else. Well, maybe, well, I don't know, someone else. Maybe, uh, maybe Elijah revived, come back from the dead, or maybe the Messiah, but definitely not a Messiah who suffers. Definitely not that. We all know that Isaiah 53 is one of the most important passages for our understanding of the atonement, for what Christ did on the cross, bearing the, the, the weight of sin and shame and taking it down to the grave, and in his resurrection, overcoming and defeating sin and death, taking what was rightfully ours, taking the, our place, so that we could experience restoration and renewal of relationship with God. But this particular quotation is really interesting. You might have noticed that it, it's kind of a very depressing excerpt. <laughs> it's not quite the, the hopeful tone that we might expect from this, the larger context. It seems that, that Philip is really hung up on this particular point. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. In this particular excerpt, the focus is less on the substitutionary nature of the sacrifice and more on just the absurdity of the injustice. The absurdity of the injustice and this, the, the amazing submission of this servant. This is a death that is unjust and innocent. And there's an irony here <laughs> that I think Philip is tapping into. In this tragic, unjust death, in which it looked like all had been lost, it in fact resulted in everything being gained. In this tragic, unjust death, this moment where it seemed all was lost, this, this moment is where all was gained. So these hindrances, this hindrance actually was an opportunity for God to show his sovereignty, his goodness. Isn't this the story of God? And, and, and Philip starts with this text and, and goes. We, don't, we aren't told where he goes to the rest of Scripture, but let's, let's, let's use our imaginations a little bit. You can imagine Philip tracing this theme of seems like all is lost, but God 
but God made a way. You can, you can imagine him tracing this theme throughout Scripture, and maybe he went all the way back to Genesis, showing that what looked like the end with sin, with the sin of Adam and Eve, was actually the beginning of a promise of redemption. Maybe he went to the time of Israel's king, when Israel um, un, uh, un, disobediently asked for a king like the nations to displace God as their king. A moment of incredible disobedience and, and just a very sad moment in the story of God. But that moment, that moment was the beginning of God's work with the house of David. A covenant through which a king will come to restore all things. Maybe he went to the exile, to the period of the exile where Israel had been warned hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times by the prophets and it continued to sh- turn their back on God and which resulted in them being led into exile, dispersed, the promises of God seemingly being set aside, the hope for the future set aside. But this being the moment where we get all these amazing prophecies for a future where God is the guarantor of the covenant, a promise of return, of restoration, a new covenant. When all seemed lost, God is making a way. I'm speculating a little bit on here where Philip went, but I'm almost certain he followed the thread forward in Isaiah. From Isaiah 53 onward, tracing what the suffering of the servant accomplished. As we continue reading, and you can do this at home, it's a really just wonderful thing just to, to read through, okay, what, what, is, what is the result of the suffering of this servant after Isaiah 53? We see things like forgiveness, hope for newness, renewal of mission, removal of fear and shame, restoration of relationship with God, bestowal of glory, the gift of water and food that satisfies freedom from slavery And then we get to Isaiah 56. Put yourself in the shoes of this eunuch now, one who desires to be near to God and yet finds himself blocked. I'm going to read from Isaiah 56, verses 1 through 5. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing evil. Let not the foreigner who's joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. This is Amazing good news for this eunuch. That because of this moment of obedience of this servant, where all seemed lost, God was making a way for him. 
to draw near to the house of God. And there's a promise of rest and welcome and a home and a future for those previously excluded under the sovereign lordship of God. This is the power of God uh, in the word of God. Uh, when we just let it speak for itself, when we just let it, let it do what it needs to do and follow the trajectory of the story of God towards salvation in Jesus Christ. Philip gospels <laughs> the eunuch. He gives him Jesus. And he does so, there's a very interesting parallel here between this text, this story, and Luke 24, the story of Jesus on the road to Emmaus as well, isn't there? Where there's a question, there's a misunderstanding of Scripture, and Jesus starts there and shows how the story leads to himself. I have an illustration of how this might work and how this has worked um, for my own ministry. Um, as part of Formation College, I, I teach a Bible course, and I love showing how the Old Testament connects to the New Testament. Um, that, that's my, my, my passion. And uh, one of our students, Pavel, he is, uh, I think he's about 21, and he serves in an outreach ministry, um, and he, he, wrote, he wrote me this, um, and I'll share, share this testimony with you. He says, my name is Pavel, and I'm a second-year student at Formation. I disciple a young believer who's been struggling with anxiety and often feels disconnected to God's love. One day he came to me and said that the, the Bible doesn't speak to him anymore, and he struggles to find meaning in what he reads. After praying and trying various different styles of studying the Bible, he still didn't feel any change. So I left him alone in a room with his Bible, and, but in about a half hour he ran to me with a big smile on his face, and he was trying to catch his breath as he said, Pavel, I think I found something. Then he enthusiastically pointed out some similarities between the first chapters of Genesis and John. I never thought a 15-year-old guy would be interested in this, but because we discussed the connection between the Old and New Testaments at Formation, I was able to discuss this more with him in depth and recommend some other parts of the Bible and show, to show some surprising similarities. He spent the next couple hours studying the Bible and feeling God's presence very strongly. That day, his perspective on God's love and his relationship with him changed. Praise God. That's amazing. Once again, mission that is initiated by God and faithful to the Word of God overcomes all hindrances. Mission initiated by God and faithful to the Word of God overcomes all hindrances. And we'll move now into our last part, section, mission and hindrances overcome, verses 36 through 40. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. What an amazing moment where now this eunuch, who all his life experienced barriers in his relationship to God, hindrances, is now asking the question, 
Is there anything else that prevents me? Is, 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 I, I don't think there is. Can we do this? Can, we be, can I be baptized? And it's actually not, not actually clear how he knows about baptism, if maybe that was a part of Philip's gospel presentation, or maybe he had heard about baptism back in Jerusalem. But in any case, um, this, uh, this, this uh, act of obedience, this example, follows the, the pattern from Acts, where a willingness to receive baptism is preceded by a responsiveness to the gospel. So it is evident in this moment that Philip, sorry, the eunuch is responsive to the gospel of Jesus Christ and is eager to identify in his death and resurrection. So he asks, what prevents me? In Jesus, all walls are down. (laughs) This eunuch, a black, God-fearing Gentile, is baptized. (laughs) And when the baptism is complete, so is Philip's mission. (laughs) And the Spirit takes him away, just like that, just like Elijah in the Old Testament. He's there one moment, and he's somewhere else the next. And this instant removal makes even clear that this is God's mission. God is the one leading this, and he's the one stewarding this moment, and he's the one who's responsible for the outcome of it. It doesn't even matter that Philip is now gone. All hindrances are removed for this eunuch in his relationship with God. It says he didn't see him again. <laughs> and you might think, wait, but how will he be discipled? How will he be, you know, trained? Uh, how is he going to participate in a church? Like, is there a church back in Ethiopia? We don't know. <laughs> we, we have no idea. But what matters is that he goes away rejoicing. He goes away rejoicing because he belongs to God, and God will take him safely home. Here is now one who will take the gospel to one end of the earth. Ethiopia was, in that day, one of the corners of the known world. So it's evident the gospel is now, he's now spreading. He's going to new places. And this eunuch is the steward to take it there. We have no other, actually, evidence of a church so early in Ethiopia in this, in, in this time, but in later years, in later, later generations, the, Ethiop- the Ethiopian church had an incredibly significant impact on, on the gospel story, on the development of the church. Only God knows what role this eunuch may have played in that. Philip now finds himself in Azotus, uh, which is the Old Testament site of Ashdod. You want to look that up later. But it's located about 20 miles north of Gaza and then three miles inland. Okay, so it's kind of the opposite direction of where he was going before. And Philip does not stay still because God is in the business of removing hindrances. He preaches the gospel in all the towns, <laughs> all the towns. That's pretty inclusive, all the towns. There were a lot of towns on his way from Azotus to Caesarea, 55 miles up the coast. <laughs> That's a lot of places, a lot of people. And Philip is, he's on fire. He's going. He ends up in Caesarea. And 20 years later, in Acts 21, he's still there. He's still in this major city center. And he holds now the title evangelist, Philip the evangelist. And we see in the development of the story in Acts that Philip's work Philip's obedience, Philip's courage in sharing the gospel helped open up ministry all along the coast. 
but the real focus in this whole text is that this momentum is due to God's leading and the direction of God's spirit. Philip is just being faithful, just being obedient, just being responsive to the word of God, to the leading of the spirit, and so eager to share the good news of God, of Jesus, to as many as will listen. And in this story, we see that God is preparing the way. God is preparing the hearts of those who will receive this good news. The eunuch has an open heart before God, asking questions, ready to learn, ready to respond. But this is God's mission. And it's propelled by his heart for the lost. And this mission is just on the verge of an explosion (laughs) to the Gentiles. Mission that is initiated by God and faithful to the word of God overcomes all hindrances. Mission initiated by God and faithful to the word of God overcomes all hindrances. We're going to be wrapping up here shortly, but let's reflect on this together. What are some lessons that we can take away from this amazing story? First of all, I hope it encourages you as it's encouraged me what can, we, what can we learn? What can we take away? How can, how, can we ref, how can we respond in obedience? There are definitely some lessons on evangelism here. Good evangelism is, reflects faithful obedience. Faithful obedience. Good evangelism is ready to cross cultural lines. Good evangelism is sensitive to hearts prepared by God. Good evangelism often starts with the questions of others. (laughs) It starts where they are. Good evangelism is rooted in scriptural teaching. And good evangelism has Jesus as its theme. How else might you respond? I have three ideas for us today. The first is you might respond by creating space to listen and respond to God's initiation. Maybe you are like that person who is waiting for the right moment, the right opportunity, waiting for the open door, but maybe you need to sit and listen to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God and follow His leading in sharing the gospel with those who God has put in your, around you. Maybe that God is asking you to go somewhere new as well. Cross those cultural lines, but you won't know unless you listen unless you slow down and listen to the word of God. So create some space to listen and respond to God's initiative. Number two is you might practice telling Jesus' story from different parts of the scriptures. I love what Philip does here. He starts in in this amazing text, but draws out a really significant theme that connected with this particular heart. The Old Testament is rich and full of stories that lead to Jesus. So you might practice that. Reading a story, reading a text, saying, how how does this end up at Jesus? How does this find its climax in the story of Christ, in his work on the cross and resurrection? And just practice. You could even do this with 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 your kids. I remember when I was maybe 10, my, my dad decided to train us as little evangelists. <laughs> and so he, we, we, went, um, we went over to the grocery store 
and, um, and thankfully he didn't make us talk to strangers. But he did say, okay, Connie, um, you, you pretend like you're, you're not a believer. And now kids, let's practice. <laughs> Maybe you could do that in your household as well. Let's practice telling the story of God, starting from different places because all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is profitable. All scripture can give us insight into the mystery of Christ. So practice telling Jesus' story. And third, you might practice, you definitely should practice small steps of obedience. Small steps of obedience while letting God bear the responsibility to change hearts. We see this in Philip. He goes to the desert. He has no idea where he's there, why he's there. He runs along the chariot. He has no idea what awaits him. He engages. He's he's ready. He's, He's prepared. And when the time is right, he moves on. He lets God take the initiative and also follow through. He is taking small steps of obedience. Maybe there's someone in your life you need to practice a small step of obedience to. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe a family member, maybe a friend, maybe a coworker, maybe someone that you don't yet know. But practicing small steps of obedience to the gospel, to the word of God, and entrusting the results to God because he, it's his mission. He's, he's going to bear the responsibility to change hearts. Create space and listen. Practice telling Jesus' story and take small steps of obedience. It's God's mission, and we get to follow him. Isn't that amazing? Mission that's initiated by God and faithful to the word of God overcomes all hindrances. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are your servants. This is your mission. This is your church. This is your gospel. You are leading the way, and we want to follow you. We want to be responsive to what you are doing through Jesus in the power of the Spirit because you are changing hearts. You are creating new ways. You are bringing your king, making your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Help us as your humble servants, to be responsive, obedient, to be rooted in your word and in your story, always keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lead us, guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.